Thanks for tuning in to the Follow Church weekly message. Our hope and prayer is that you will find this message uplifting and challenging as we seek to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. Romans 14 verse 1. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both dead and living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why, or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, verse 11, It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, for then that person, it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good to be spoken as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. Please welcome Ray. Thank you, Lachlan, and good morning, church. Great to see everybody here this morning. It's a uh, privilege to minister, to preach to you, uh, and let's, um, let's get straight into it. And uh, we're going to relook at chapter 14, and then we're going to spend a little bit of time in chapter 15 as well. Um, allow me to pray and ask the Lord to help me. Father, need your grace and your help. In fact, without you, uh, this all 
means nothing. May your word do its work. Thank you that we can have confidence, not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Thank you that you are mighty to save, that you are powerful. Thank you that your word, it is living, it is powerful, um, and it's able to accomplish that which you send it to do. Today, help me, speak through me, and be glorified in all that takes place. Uh, we ask this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Fantastic. How's that sound? You can turn my monitors down just a little bit. It's a little bit of an echo in my ear. Um, essential oils. Uh, does anyone get into essential oils? I bought myself recently a diffuser and enjoyed some lavender. What do you think about that? Don't mind the pot puree blender. From time to time, I've enjoyed the bearded natural maple. The problem with the beard oil, and the beard's been shaved, my daughter gave me a, a cuddle, looked up at me, it was an eye-to-eye -eye contact, I thought it was going to be a special, intimate moment. She looked at me, and I thought it was going to be wonderful, soft words of love, and she said, Dad, are you wearing mosquito repellent? <laughs> that was the end of that essential oil. Now... This, the, I, I got a box of essential oils. I think it cost me you know, $10 from eBay. And uh, pure. They were called pure essential oils. And I, I, uh, my wife is convinced there's nothing pure about them. Um, and it makes me doubt whether they're actually essential or not. Isn't it funny the terms that we loosely, flippantly throw around as it relates to certain matters and things? that we say this is essential. Can I say to every single one of us, uh, uh, and Romans 14, it deals, as Pastor Luke said last week, it deals with the Apostle Paul preaching and really wanting to lay a powerful and a strong foundation for the Roman church. And he, he's very theological in the, in the beginning chapters, right up to about chapter 13, uh, well, chapter 12, in fact, but 13 onwards, he becomes very pastoral and he deals with very practical issues. Last week, Pastor Luke mentioned um, uh, heeding to governance and uh, the local authorities and that we are to love one another. Uh, this chapter, chapter 14, and certainly moving into chapter 15, it deals with the uh, debatable issues, or what the NIV ter uh, terms the disputable matters. And the encouragement here for believers, for the church, the encouragement for us is to not quarrel, not to be argumentative, not to fight. Now, if you're visiting with us today, um, a side note, or uh, just for you to know, this chapter predominantly deals with the church and people that gather and, and hear and, and submit themselves to God's word. Uh, but perhaps you went to church, uh, attended a congregation some time ago, and the matters that we're going to look at and discuss today are one of the reasons perhaps that you decided to stop attending a local assembly and church. Due to disputing, fighting, arguing over matters that are not clearly biblical, but they're debatable, they're disputable, and ones that, if you like, they're, they're, that you could negotiate on them compared to some of the other biblical truths that are clearly not negotiable. Now, the reason it's important that we consider this is because 
our understanding, brothers and sisters, of these matters that are of primary or secondary importance as it relates to the gospel, as it relates to the kingdom of God, will either cause us as, as a church family, as an individual, as a person in the workplace, to either picture Jesus, picture the gospel wherever we are, or in essence, pervert the gospel wherever we are. We will either be that diffuser, if you like, that we are burning the aroma of Christ that gives off, gives off a sweet-smelling aroma to our community, to our family, to those around us, or whenever we move into a certain group of people, people will smell us and go, you know what, whenever that person's around, my life, this situation actually stinks. Yeah. So the, 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 the concept here in Romans 14 is to teach, to settle the church that we'll, 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 again, we'll see in just a moment, that we're arguing and quarreling in amongst themselves over matters that they didn't need to fight about, they didn't need to quarrel about. Another reason that we must learn how to distinguish between what is primary and secondary is we will end up fighting on the wrong battlefield. Now, for those of you that don't know, I used to preach the gospel. Um, full-time uh, as a pastor, as a minister. In fact, I did it for about 15 years. And I say not with any degree of joy, with any degree of uh, pride or, or boasting. In fact, it, 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 it's somewhat saddening that I resigned from the pulpit, from the ministry, due to a, an organization and a fellowship that I felt before the Lord was actually dying on the wrong battlefield. That, 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 that a fellowship or an organization set standards that I thought weren't bringing people to Jesus, but were in essence pushing people away. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Has anyone ever been part of a church culture and experience where rather than draw people to the cross, there are, there are added and additional you know, requirements, if you like, that actually repelled and pushed good people God-fearing people away from Jesus. May God help us not to do that today. I'll drink to that. I've got the cheap 99-cent bottle of water, not that $5 one. <clears throat> it comes from the quarries of Pakenham. Hallelujah. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. I prayed over it. Um, um, where's your faith? No, no, let's keep going. Now, I'm not talking about issues where, and doctrines where the Bible clearly defines them as essential for our salvation. Nor am I talking about practices that the Bible clearly labels as sin. We as Christians, as believers, have no authority to condone sin or compromise on essential doctrines of the faith. But how many know there are wide and varying issues and practices that the Bible actually does not clearly label as biblical or unbiblical? And who are we to say this is the way it's meant to be, right? So these issues, sadly, many, many churches have split and over these matters, and they have lost their evangelic focus because they fought over secondary issues. And I want you to know, church, no one is immune from this, certainly not 
our fellow congregation. The tragedy in our world today, unlike the church in Rome, is that if you're unhappy here, rather than do the hard work and work through your differences, difficulties, it's easier in in our community, in our society today, to simply find another church. So rather than be a good Christian and fight the fight and press through and be prayerful, it's very easy for us to say, I'll simply find another group of people that agree and believe with me on exactly the same things that I agree and believe on. Can I tell you, that is not the answer. The answer is to humble ourselves before God and grow and mature and do the hard work of loving one another. Again, not on biblical things. If there's something that's clearly out of whack in the primary, in the doctrinal issues, then by all means run and run far and run fast. But if it's a secondary issue, rather than run away, let's be mature and love one another. Hallelujah. I had two coffees this morning. Can you tell? (laughs) Now, shall we start a little church argument today? Just because I'm pontificating here the best I can. I'm rattling off. We need some audience participation. Let's get a fight started right here. Oh, now you know I love the UFC, and see, that could be a secondary issue for you. That could cause you grief and problems. Well, let's get a little fight going down and see who's going to tap out this morning. Let's talk about issues that can divide, that can destroy, that can hurt a church. What about the church budget? Where are we spending our money? How many of that can get a church fight? That can stir it up. What about what style of music we play in church? Oh, that'll get one going. Can we, should we allow electric guitars in the service? What about drums? Wow, we. What about a pastor? What is the appropriate attire for a pastor to wear? Should a pastor preach behind a pulpit? I made that two words. It's only one. Pulpit. Should a pastor sit and teach like Jesus did with his disciples? Should the men in the church, in honor of the King of kings and Lord of lords, should we all be therefore men wearing suits and ties to church? Oh, here we go. Let's get a bit closer to the bone, shall we? Just getting you started, but let's really, let's really do some chest shoving. What about the issue, or is it sin for a Christian to dance? Now, for some of you, it is absolutely a sin. I've seen some of you at a wedding... And you should never do that. (laughs) What about for a Christian to smoke? You know, one of the greatest, most famous English preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, loved cigars. His friend preacher across the road commented, and he said, Mr. Spurgeon, I notice you smoke cigars. Is that not a sin? He says, it's okay, I don't smoke in uh, excess. He says, well, how much is excess? Excess. 
He says, two at a time. And then he said, well, you're upset with me because I smoke cigars. I'm upset with you because I saw you take your family to the movies. You saw Bambi. Is it okay for Christians? Is it a sin for a Christian to have a tattoo? Ooh, according to Levitical law. What about working on Sundays? Ooh. What about celebrating Christmas on the 25th of December? How about Christmas trees in the sanctuary? Do we allow our kids to trick or treat in Halloween? You hear that music? What about public schools versus homeschool versus private school? Christians love to argue, quarrel, and complain and divide and be distracted over all of these matters. How many know what I'm talking about? Reminds me of the the story of a man who wanted to become a monk. So he went to the monastery, he talked to the head monk, and the head monk said, you must take a vow of silence and can only say two words every three years. The man agreed. And after three years, the head monk came to him and said, what are your two words? Food cold, the man replied. Three more years went by. The head monk came to him again and said, What are your two words? Robe dirty, the man exclaimed. Three more years went by. The head monk came to him and said, What are your two words? I quit, said the man. Well, the head monk replied, I'm not surprised. You've done nothing but complain ever since you got here. Christians love to complain. That was for Dave Young, but... uh... Now, one of the reasons, in all seriousness, and let's get a move on. In all seriousness, the reason, or one of the reasons we divide over such issues is because we all come from different backgrounds, different family orientations, different cultures. There are so many cultures and age groups uh, and, and demographics represented in this gathering today. And as you bring all of that together into this melting pot called the, co- the corporate gathering, the church, uh, the follow congregation, uh, this and even that follow church, uh, some of you might sit there and go, hmm, aren't we Baptist? How come he hasn't said follow Baptist church? And this can cause division. This can cause fighting over all of these type of issues. Not only do we have people from different cultures and backgrounds, We also come here with a different view or philosophy on ministry. People have different personal preferences, different traditions. And you put all this together, we are bound to disagree on something. Added to this fact, uh, all of of this multicultural, this melting pot, add to this fact the fact that we are all flawed, sinful, and sometimes difficult to live with. Right there, you have the recipe for disunity. The other reason we can often disagree about things, not only this great diversity in amongst the group, but also the fact the Bible is unclear 
about some of these secondary issues. And this, again, is what we find here in the Roman church. Now, the difficulties that we see here probably relate to the expulsion of the Jewish believers uh, in AD 49. This is because Emperor Claudius kicked the Jewish population out of Rome. Now, Claudius died some six years later. When he died in AD 54, five years later, when he died, those Jewish, that Jewish church or remnant that were kicked out of Rome then came back into the congregation. But something had changed in that Roman congregation. Rather than having a Jewish smell about it in terms of the way they sang, the way they dressed, the way they set up the building, rather than have that Jewish flavor, it now had very much a Gentile flavor about it. And many of the practices and happenings were more reflective of the multi and the many nationalities, pre predominantly the Greeks. And so what you would have here is a church that are having, after Sunday, for Sunday lunch, pork barbecues. And so the Jewish Christians came back into church, come over to my house for a barbie, oh, what are we eating? Ham sandwiches and pork on the spit. I hope you love your crackle. And when they heard those words, the Jews would have said, oh, get rid of it. And the Gentile believer would have looked at them and said, hey, get rid of it. No, you get over it. And this was the fight and the tension that was going on in that local congregation. Hence, Romans 14 is important stuff of how to deal with these kind of matters, these kind of disputes. When... To help us understand, to know the time when to challenge something or to chill about something. It's really important. And can I say for you, for all of us that are parents, this is massively important that we teach our children Romans 14 truths. Otherwise, you will raise kids that will be weird in society. You will either raise a bunch of kids that are incredibly legalistic and do not fit into the world. Hello, am I talking to somebody? Just blink at me. Or you will raise a bunch of kids to use the old Pentecostal theology that will simply backslide and hate the church. Hello, somebody. If we don't grasp and have a correct balance on what is disputable, what is not negotiable, and what doesn't really matter by your personal preference and conscience, we will raise a bunch of kids that have no discernment and will struggle to adjust in our world and give a great aroma for Jesus Christ in our world. Amen. So enough of all that stuff. Let's get into it so we can go and have a pork barbecue today. That's the first time some of you have said amen. I know it was quiet, but at least you've started. Um, it's okay. So the subject is introduced to us in verses 1 and 3. It says this, Except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Now, I don't have a tattoo, if you're wondering. But if I did, that would be the one I would get. Weak person only eats vegetables. <laughs> Strong men eat meat. Are you with me? No, no, that's it. I'm being silly. 
This is, see, don't argue with me. <laughs> oh. All right, I won't give up my day job. It's okay. Relax, stop shouting at me. Alex, settle down, brother. <sighs> All right, let's go. So the weak person only eats vegetables. I've already said that. The one, verse 3, who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. The main point of this passage, and here is the intro, we're going to move through it by God's grace as quick as I can, is accept and welcome every brother, sister who calls themselves a believer. The reason we do that is because God has accepted us. The picture here is God looks out upon sinners who run from the truth, who suppress the truth, who want nothing to do with him. And what does God do? He gives us the welcome mat. He accepts us. He sends his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sin. He doesn't just accept us as strangers, but he adopts us as his children. He welcomes his enemies as his own children. On that basis of acceptance, we are to accept other brothers and sisters. That great acceptance that God has given to us, how can we therefore not offer or give that to others? This is the premises of where the Apostle Paul is going and about to take us. Romans 14 is taking the gospel and applying it to our relationships to and with one another regarding debatable or disputable issues. Purpose in accepting a brother or sister and not quarrel with him is to display the unity in great diversity which will represent where we are all going, heaven. Hallelujah. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, all people from all parts of society and the world gathering, worshipping the one God, King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah. Now, this truth is also repeated in chapter 15, verse 7, where it says this, Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Now, as we move through this chapter, 14, Paul describes, did you see it, two hypothetical people. One person he simply describes as strong. This strong person eats anything. And then he describes another person whom he describes as weak, and the weak person eats only vegetables. So for the sake and purpose of our Aussie vernacular, we're going to call him the meat man versus the beat man. The meat man is the strong man and the beat man is the weak man. And let me just clarify on this truth. When it speaks of um, the the meat man versus the, the, the beat man, the vegetable person, this has nothing to do with health. The motivation here is not about uh, dietary things as it relates to, um, I'm a vegetarian. This relates purely, and the motivation is spiritual concerns. So their motivation isn't, um, I don't like meat because my body negatively reacts to it. They say we don't want meat because vegetables and only vegetables honour God. 
That was their thinking. So meat men probably represented Gentiles. When I say meat man, men, I'm referring to man or woman. When we speak about the beat man or woman, we're speaking about probably Jewish Christians that had a limited diet due to their religious concerns. And in verse 3, he says this, Meat man, you should not despise the beat man, and beat man, you should not judge the meat man. Now let's define these terms. Because if meat man is strong and beat man is weak, what does this actually mean? Those who are strong in this passage, meat man, are able to connect Christ's sacrifice to their lifestyle and participate in neutral activities without sinning. That is a strong believer. Every activity I do, I can glorify God in my conscience with it, and therefore I can participate in certain things without sinning. The weak person, beat man, is unable to connect Christ's sacrifice to their lifestyle and therefore are unable to participate in a neutral activity, activity without sinning. Remember this also. This weak or strong uh, characteristic is not an exclusive position. In other words, you can be strong in one area and incredibly weak in another. It is also not an immutable issue. That is, you may be strong today, but weak tomorrow. Or you may be weak today, but then strong tomorrow. What do we need to know about the weak and the strong? Well, the text breaks it down into three big points, doesn't it? Verses 4 to 12 that we've already read. It addresses those who tends to judge a brother, the beat man. Verses 13 to 23, right to the end of the chapter, it moves from going on to beat man to meet man, and it says, your job, if you have great liberty, is not to hinder your brother or cause your brothers, your sisters, to stumble and trip up. And then in chapter 15, where Lockie will preach and minister for us next week, Verses 1 to 7, his encouragement, and he summarizes it by saying, our job is to build one another up in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's quickly look at that. Firstly, verse 4, where he talks about the job for, for beat man not to judge his brother or sister. Verse 4, who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master... Servants stand or fall, and they will stand for the Lord who is able to make them stand. To the weaker believer who has the propensity to sit there with arms folded, looking at a person who seems to be too liberal in their faith and, and, and theology, he says to them, don't sit there and judge them 
I, God says, have meat men. In fact, in these verses, verses 4 to 12, 10 times the phrase is repeated more than anywhere else in the New Testament, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. And he says this saying, I am meat man's master. And then notice he says, he starts off verse 4, doesn't he? Who are you? Have you ever said that to your children? Who do you think you are? Maybe something like that. When you hear them quarreling in the other room and they don't know you, mum, dad, are actually in the other room. Have you ever heard your kids argue when they don't think you're actually there or listening? It can be quite um, dynamic. Let's just call it that, shall we? Dynamic. Well, here, the dynamics of Paul, when he sees Christians judging other Christians for their not, you know, the, 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 the disputable uh, matters, he says, who are you? Who are you? Oh, I feel that. You say it a bit louder just when it comes out, you know? There's a dynamic. Who are you? Sounds a little bit police-like, doesn't it? Who are you? I haven't said that in a little while, but anyway, that's, that's, that's the word that he says here in the Bible. Who are you? Mate, God is his master. Don't live with this perpetual sense that your job is to tell everyone what to do and what not to do. Hallelujah. Can you feel the freedom here? I might do a little dance for you in a minute. <laughs> this is great. God is saying, relax, Jack. I've got this. Some of us lose way too much sleep over trying to be everyone's boss. We're fretting over disputable or, or, or sorry, debatable matters about our brothers and sisters. And God says, relax, mate. I've got this. I'm his master. Trust me to be his judge. I know you're just trying to help, but stop it. Let God do it. Hallelujah. Oh. Could you imagine being at home, Sunday afternoon, lazy, Sunday afternoon, kicking back on the couch, and all of a sudden a bloke kicks the front door in, and he looks at you and says, mate, have you seen the lawns? Get out there and mow the lawns now. Runs into the missus, what are you doing? Look at the dishes in the sink. Get onto it. Runs into the kids' room, make your bed, tidy up the side. Would you, uh, this stranger, you've never met this person before, running around your house, calling the shots. You would walk up to him, would you not? And get in his face and say, who are you? Get out of my house. I'll call the cops. Hang on, I am the cops. Uh, I'll call the other bloke. You know, you know, something like that. <laughs> right? This is what the Lord is saying about these matters that don't really matter. Stop getting so wound up about it. Relax. Trust that the Lord is the Lord. Hallelujah. Notice here, also secondarily, verses 5 and 6, the one person who considers one day more sacred than another and another person considers all day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special, he does it to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. Whoever abstains does so to the Lord, and he gives thanks to God. Paul is using... The examples of diet and days, I've given out many. Those that want to observe these things. But notice he's saying, some observe days and they do it to the Lord and some don't. And they also do it to the Lord. If you're a perfectionist, this 
will really mess with your head. Because he's saying both are right, both are honouring God. But your brain really struggles to handle that, doesn't it? It can't be. Do it my way. I've prayed about it. <laughs> you know. Oh, sorry, I'm having a good time anyway, guys. So, uh, uh, <laughs> The motive here, verse 6, they're honouring the Lord. And he goes on to say, God has his life and God sent Jesus to die for him. Look at verse 7 to 9. For none of us live for ourselves alone. None of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the living, the dead rather, and the living. Notice the focus is not about what he's doing, but his focus is all about the Lord. And the last truth here for the beat man the man who has that propensity to judge, is this. Know this, God is his judge and God will hold him accountable. Verses 10 to 12. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. Each one of us will give an account of ourselves to God. What a powerful verse. What a sobering verse. Every knee will bow. Sobering, but, but liberating. Be confident and trust. And therefore, think the best about your brother and sister because trust that their eyes are on Jesus. Jesus' eyes are on them. God will work it out. Now let's talk about the meat man, the liberal man. I think there's some liberal people here in this church that enjoy some liberties, <laughs> shall we say. The job of the meat man or woman is not to cause or to be a stumbling block, a tripping point for the weaker brother or sister. And he says this by giving us a challenge as it relates to our conscience, does he not? Verse 13 and 14. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. Your conscience, my conscience, is a very, very, very powerful thing. Now, in, there, there, there is what we, what we call in society intrinsic morality. Therefore, it really doesn't matter what your conscience thinks or feels about these matters, such as murder, such as rape, such as molestation, sexual abuse, family violence. Now, back in the day, some of those things might have not been seen, but it is not tolerated today, certainly not here. This is intrinsic morality, but internally, 
we have what's called individual morality. And that is how our conscience works about certain issues. Now, our conscience is a gift from God. And it's often that internal alarm bells that you just can't ignore. So the word conscience comes from that word conscience science. In other words, it means with knowledge. So internally, we function, every single one of us, due to our uh, upbringing and our family, we function with a degree of knowledge, whether we've had a textbook in front of us or not. Now, if you've had a bad upbringing, then your conscience might not be firing perhaps as it could or should. We can suppress our conscience through deliberate hard-heartedness. You can read the word, you can hear a song, you can be with a family member, words are spoken, you know they're true, but you're deliberately rebelling, acting in a, in, in a way that, that, that is pushing that aside, and so you suppress with a hard heart what you know is right. A conscience that is suppressed by hard-heartedness stops it working as it should. Then you can have people in our world that have a hypersensitive conscience. They feel bad all of the time. And everything, they, they feel like they're doing things wrong. What we need is to allow God's Spirit, and this is why we gather on a Sundays, where our hearts can be calibrated, set a line set true, a true north, if you like, by God and God's word. Amen? So that our heart and our conscience can work properly. I went to a church that said, that believed, that you needed to pray every morning for at least one hour. So it didn't matter if you started work at four, then you needed to get up at three. And you couldn't pray at home, you had to come to the building and pray. So even if you're working on the other side of town, you would bypass the, the, the congregation because that's where others, and you'd encourage others and gather. And if you didn't read your Bible for... I'm just throwing this one out there. There's an extra one for you. If you didn't read your Bible for one hour a day, you just weren't spiritual. So if you read your Bible for 30 minutes... Shame on you. And now something really bad is going to happen in your day because you only read for half an hour. And people that hear that and feel super spiritual when they're keeping these certain you know, uh, regulations compared to those that don't, their conscience can feel crushed. And they feel like, oh, if my day goes horrible, I know why. I only read my Bible for 39 minutes. And their conscience is oversensitive. It's wrong. It needs to be calibrated and be set free. And he says this in verse 15 and 16, Be aware, for you that are as a meat man that's relaxed and liberal, be aware how your liberty affects others. Verse 15, Your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat. You are no longer acting in love. Do not by eating destroy someone whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. Here he's working out the idea of conscience that if you know somebody is offended by a practice, then your job is not to do that practice to somehow liberate him. You're actually destroying him 
Don't do it. One of these can be drinking. Alcohol. Now, I don't mind a beer. Great Northern, if you want to supply them. Crisp. I'll have a crisp. Thank you. But I attended a wedding recently. I was sitting at a table. I did the maths in the table. People around me were not drinking. They were teetotalers. So what did I do? I got a slab. I dropped it on there and said, hey, be liberated, brother, sister. No, I didn't. I didn't drink. I drank water. <sighs> Am I bitter about that? No. Maybe a little, but <laughs> no, I'm not. I was doing what I felt was biblical, was right, to not make uncomfortable or sear the conscience of those that were around me that have issues because their conscience says, before the Lord, this is not right. You're to respect that. And they're still brothers and sisters. Amen? Be aware of how your liberty affects others. Also, keep your focus on what matters in the kingdom. Verses 17 to 19. We're coming to the end. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Therefore, let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Here he says, the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God in Christ. And the way that we know that Jesus is reigning in our life is not based on what I can get away with because I'm free to do whatever I want, but it's based on righteousness, peace, and joy. And then he says in verse 20 to 23, moving quickly, be willing to refrain. Verse 20, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. Whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat. Because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. In other words, the fact that I'm free to participate doesn't mean that I use that freedom. If I believe it's going to cause someone else to stumble, I don't want to distract the fellowship from Jesus. Amen? So our job, as we wrap it up for the third time, our job is not to judge our job is not to hinder, but our job, chapter 15, is to build up our brothers and sisters as Jesus has modeled for us. I'm not going to preach chapter 15. Say, and you look at me and say, no, you're not. Lachlan's doing that. You already said that. But he says in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 15, we have a new motive which is not to please ourselves. We're living, loving sacrifices. We have a new model, verses 3 and 4, and we have a new mindset, verses 5 to 7. But as we close for the fourth time, and the final time, 
couple of big questions. How do we distinguish between what is disputable and what is not? How do we distinguish what is primary and what is secondary? Because you could look at me and say, well, what about 1 Corinthians 5? Where Paul commands the church, he rebukes the church, he's offended by a church that allows adultery, sexual immorality to be taking place in the congregation. He says, you guys are boasting about the fact that you're liberal. Look how we love everyone. He says, this is flat out wrong. And he condemns the Corinthian believers for not judging that. How do we know then whether it's a Romans 14 issue or a 1 Corinthians 5 issue? Very quickly, are you ready? Number one, is there a scriptural command relating to the issue? If it's something that the Bible specifically condemns, like adultery, like theft, like gossip, like homosexual behavior, these activities don't fall under the Romans 14, 15 category. But what does sometimes, and the issue is sometimes how we relate to a person. That's the sin. That's the problem. Number two, are there sound principles of biblical interpretation used when somebody, when somebody is seeking to justify an activity. Somebody says, I feel liberal to do this in the Lord, but there are clear Bible scriptures that say you shouldn't, then you probably shouldn't. It's not secondary, it's primary. Number three, do these activities contradict generally what has been accepted throughout church history? Why? Because there's safety in a multitude of counsel. Now, obviously, it doesn't guarantee truth from error. History is wide, and so are perspectives in the church. But it is wise to listen, to look outside our time and our culture. And lastly, I would ask this. Is this issue a conviction that you would die for? You're going to make such a big deal over it, brother, sister. Are you willing to die for that? For example, if somebody believes dancing is wrong and somebody puts a gun to my head and says, dance or die, what am I going to do? That's how you can tell whether this is a serious conviction or not. I'm dancing. Are you with me? Uh, um, yeah. Canadian club, dry. <laughs> right. oh, anyway, right. <sighs> Alcohol. We just need to talk about that for a minute. I'm joking about it, but it's serious. More homes are destroyed because of alcohol in Australia. Family violence, molestation, damage done due to booze more than anything else, drink driving. It's a serious issue. And can I tell you that if any liberty, you believe it's freedom and somebody else says, no, I don't find it freedom, I find it to be sin, then you find God in, in what, it, what it says because the Bible speaks of dangers as it relates to, to alcohol and faith gives your conscience that, that, that confidence that you can do it. But I would ask you this, does your behavior build up you, others, and the Lord. If it doesn't, then stop it. 
And guess what? If you can't stop it, it is not a freedom, it has become a bondage. And if it's a bondage, it's not a freedom and you need to repent and stop. Could be the Xbox for you. PlayStation. For me, it might be Clash of Clans. might be Netflix for you. Vikings or something. Is it glorifying God? Is it building you up or is it tearing you down? Amen? Whatever you do, may it lead towards harmony. This is also true of secondary biblical issues, yeah? Eschatology. Pastor Luke preached about Israel in Romans. I don't know about you. I don't know how your conscience felt about some of those issues of Calvinism and Arminianism. Pastor Luke powerfully declared where he felt. Maybe you don't sit there. That's okay. Eschatology, the timing of the return of Christ, the tribulation period. Are we in it? Is it starting? Is it seven? The thousand years after the beast, the mark of the beast. Is he here? Has he gone? Was he there? Is he still here? Is he Donald Trump? Whatever your position is. (coughs) Whatever your position is. If it's not foundational, can we simply love one another and have differences of opinion on these secondary issues, not foundational. Verse 7, and I close for the fifth time. <laughs> Verse 7 of chapter 5, 15. My, he says this, I repeat it again, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Our job is not to control our brothers or sisters It is not to flaunt our freedom, but to glorify God as we walk together in love. Thanks for listening to our message this week. If it stirred your heart and you would like to talk to someone more about it or pray with someone, please get in touch with us at info at follow.church and one of our pastoral team will get back to you as soon as possible. If you'd like more information about Follow and our various ministries, including weekly service times and location, please check out our website, www.follow.church. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.